Broadcasting from everywhere and nowhere, the Misfit Crew at Southfleet HQ is proud to bring you the Dive Living Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Die Living Podcast, brought to you as always by Softlead. Today, our special guest is Elijah Sacra. Elijah is the founder of the Warrior Wellness Solutions, a nonprofit that delivers functional medicine coaching, integrative nutrition instruction, and rehabilitative and adaptive exercises for wounded veterans or anyone who is focused on uh, fixing basically chronic pain or any other types of issues, um, as well as providing adaptive athlete support. Uh, Elijah is a Marine Corps veteran who fractured his neck and uh, had to deal with some toxic exposure from deployments. He found himself on a 15-year journey of trying to fix himself and along the way has uh, basically collected a bunch of certifications and tons of knowledge of which uh, some he is going to share with us today. So, Elijah, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Appreciate you coming on, talking with us. I know that, uh, you know, you know, Doug from prior to to coming in today. It's uh, Elijah showed up randomly at our Alan Shabar Jiu-Jitsu event and was very excited about that. And we turned out to know a bunch of people. Apparently, our kids go to school together. Wow. Yeah, we didn't know that until I showed up at his house to pull my daughter out of his front yard when she got stuck in the mud. And then his wife was like, you know my husband. And I was like, do I? <laughs> She's like, uh, Elijah. I was like, oh, I actually I do know your husband. This is super weird. So we had been trying to connect the dots for what? four or five months. I believe so. Yeah. And then I was like, well, that's all the pressure I need to make sure we're going to like actually make something happen now. So welcome Elijah to the podcast. Small Thank world. You. I still have mud tracks in my front yard. <laughs> that is, it was luckily not my vehicle or my fault. I just came to solve a problem. I find that hard to believe. <laughs> Doug Keyswitter, problem solver. Helpful fellow. Helpful Everybody fellow. but Chris Van Brink thinks that. Good Samaritan. <laughs> Chris is like, man, what a real, what a real jerk. Um, I, don't, I don't think Chris thinks that. He does. He just said it earlier today. We were, I was making fun of him. And he was like, why am I the only nice person in this office? It's like, I don't know. It's, uh, well. <laughs> hashtag just nice to guy things. <laughs> in any event. Um, so, Elijah... I want to hear about this journey that you you talked about, um, and especially where it started. Breaking you know breaking your neck sounds like uh, a, a pretty severe way to start, right? So, can you tell us kind of you know like what happened you know with that incident? What happened uh, you know with toxic exposure? I assume that's all from Marine Corps deployments or training. All right. Um, well, do you want to you want to tell us like what what was the the catalyst to the sure. beginning of this, right? Uh, young Marine, nerdy kid, Camp Lejeune, nineteen ninety one, um, kind of a PT stud for what the Marine Corps was at that time, mm-hmm. um, and because of that, I was tasked out in what was called the the fat body platoon, which were basically admin Marines who had fallen out of shape, and we were to haze them back into shape to pass the basic PFT, and. On a training uh, exercise out on the tank trails, 
out near Courthouse Bay on Camp Lejeune. And axle broke, had a Helm V rollover, and I com- basically compressed C5 and C6. Uh-huh. Arms immediately went numb. You know, it was the era where you didn't say anything to anybody except go to sick bay and they give you a Motrin and tell you to get back on course. Um, probably still the same today. And so arms continued to be numb. I continued to do things. It continued to get progressive, progressively worse. Um, then fell off an obstacle course, injured my lower back, and then got a litany of other injuries from combatives. Overseas in Japan, I was exposed to some toxins in a uh, incident in Tokyo and the subway stations. And, like a Godzilla uh, thing? Uh, I was in a terrorist incident in 1995. <laughs> Saren. Really? Yes. You were exposed yeah. to Saren? So well. I was there on leave. Had nothing to do with uh, the Marine Corps. I was just there on leave. And uh, the, the guy detonated Saren in the subway system. Uh, at the time, I was a NBC decon NCO for our unit. Irony. And irony. And, uh, of course— the, This could be really bad, guys. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> you want me to stick this into my heart? And that's when I started growing a third eye out of the side of my head. No. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you, know, you drive on. So was I like 17, 18, 19 years old? Um, and continued to not say anything. Uh, wanted to be an accountant. I'm a real nerdy kid. Liked, I liked uh, money and guns. And so— uh, Ended up in the Marine Corps and got an accounting degree at night and on like the weekends. Like the, the early Dan Bilzerian. Yeah, so um, without all the rest of his crap. So <laughs> I mean, you can say without all the rest of his crap, but what we're really avoiding talking about is all the pussy too. It's like, oh, Dan, I hate that guy so much. <laughs> so uh, got out of the Marine Corps pretty heavily injured, uh, not really talking to anybody about it. Uh, living in Baltimore at the time, I'd gotten a job with Ernst and Young as a tax accountant, mm-hmm. which was kind of like the dream scenario if you were trying to be in that field. And I was basically wasting away in a cubicle with a stack of paperwork brought to me every day. Yeah. And at that time, being a trainer or going to the field of exercise, physiology, and nutrition was something you did when you were young and muscular, and then you got a real job. Um, I lasted nine months at that firm and then went back to school for exercise science, went to nutrition school. And began to take on civilian clients. Um, my first civilian client was a woman who had a broken neck, neck, broken back. She had MS, Lyme's disease, and had been in an abusive relationship. So right out of the gate, I basically got the worst case scenario as a young trainer. Softball, was, easy there. <laughs> right right. I mean, was this on purpose or were you? No, it was not on purpose. It was, uh, I was like at a Gold's Gym at the time, which All was right. kind of a knuckle dragger environment. And this woman just walked in and needed help. And what about you? I mean, you talked about all these kind of issues that have been building up. Were you dealing with those Uh, Yeah, I was dealing with those, not telling anybody I was dealing with those. And I looked lean and in shape and stood relatively tall, so you couldn't really tell. So when you say dealing with them, basically just going through life. Horrible chronic pain. But not fixing them. Not fixing them, yeah. All right. Um, Not fixing them, chronic pain, couldn't sleep. Um, Eating terribly, because I don't know, I wouldn't say I was depressed, but as a result of not feeling like crap, I wasn't doing everything I was supposed to do. And so I embarked on this journey with this woman I was training and began to dabble in external education from folks like Mark Verstegen, who is the founder of Exos, which was at the time Athletes Performance. And then I went on to become a yoga teacher and some other things. And so one part intuition and other parts continuing education, I kind of began to craft a template that helped restore... Uh, folks' posture and movement patterns 
and started to help reconnect the body and help people move better again. Mm-hmm. And uh, the sense of rela- relatedness people had that were coming to me because I was a person that had been in chronic pain uh, was good because it helped me understand where they were coming from and vice versa. And so I progressively got better over the years. Um, in 2009, when I thought I had reached some level of homeostasis, I decided, hey, I should start working with other vets. And the first vet we were working with was a double amputee out of Walter Reed because I lived in Baltimore at the time. And he had gotten to the point where he could not fit into his prosthetics. And so we began working with him, Clarissa, my fiance and I, with nutrition and rehabilitative exercise. And within three months, he was off all of his 12 meds and back in his prosthetics and doing uh, recumbent bike wheelchair racing. Wow. And so... Um, I don't know how deep you want me to go, but basically we were invited into Walter Reed. Yeah. We were invited into the Marine Corps Wounded Warrior Regiment. And then fast forward today, we work with a ton of soft, uh, active and retired folks. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, that's really interesting. So, I mean, I'm curious kind of to hear more about the details of, you know, exploring the functional medicine side, you know, what, I think there's, there's so much kind of, uh, not only, you know, mystique, but also, um, you know, just kind of uh, caution, you know, that goes about or, or even distrust, you know, that goes about that kind of non-hospital-based medicine. And, you know, what, is, what has been your path to kind of figuring out how, you know, what works, what can you practice, um, you know, what is the stuff that people need to stay away from um, and how you apply that to your patients? Wonderful question. Um, I'll start with what we were doing originally. We didn't realize it was a functional medicine template because that's something that's kind of been codified in the last few years a little bit better than it was. And it was just basically called holistic nutrition or integrative nutrition or integrative coaching. And over the course of time, it was codified by what's called the Institute of Functional Medicine.org, IFM.org. And the Functional Medicine Coaching Academy. And you could find, you can do a coach search or a MD or a doctor search on either one of those websites. And a lot of people are throwing around the words functional medicine, but they're not actually certified and they're using it as a loose term. Are there so, multiple certification bodies or is that pretty much the, it's, the main it's one? It's the main one. All right. So you'll hear the words functional medicine. But unless the clinician actually shows up on the IFM.org website search, Mm -hmm. and unless the coach actually shows up on the Functional Medicine Coaching Academy search, they're someone that is just saying they practice functional medicine. Right. So, I mean, let's start going down this this path of the differences between functional medicine and, I guess, traditional medicine. Is that what you would call it? Let's talk about it even in more basically than that. I think that like Jeff's come in and talk with us about what services like he's providing through task force dagger with mm-hmm. uh, soft guys specifically. But I think that universally um, we're seeing in the country. I when when um, the affordable health care act came in, however you feel about that, there was a big shift in focus between addressing problems after they've become a major problem and preventative measures taken to monitor your own health. One thing that I've appreciated about getting involved in a, fun- a more functional uh, approach to my healthcare is that 
there were a whole series of tests taken and administered identifying existing problems that I didn't know were problems yet and telling me how to deal with them. So I would actually really like if Elijah could actually kind of outline what in-processing looks like. I mean, we all know what it's like to go to a doctor and say, doc, my knee hurts or my heart's running too fast or I have a headache that won't go away. Oxycontin for yeah. all through this thing. <laughs> could you give me can you give me some medicine, right? Like fix a problem that exists. I think that what is unique about the functional medicine world is that people typically don't address functional medicine until they're hurting, and conventional medicine hasn't addressed those pains. But we would all be better served to find someone like Elijah before the pain starts. Like, hey, maybe I should approach my general practitioner medical relationship from a functional view as opposed to a traditional view. So what does that look like, Elijah? Great question. So I'm pretty early. I'm a couple years into my actual personal functional medicine template. And so I said, oh, I'm a coach. I should actually know what this pipeline looks like. And so I went to Clarissa, my fiance's practice down in Raleigh, Carolina Total Wellness, hired them as my doc. So the intake process- And, and he is an MD, right? She is an MD. Oh, she? Okay, you're right. Uh, she spent 30 years at Duke- as an MD, well-respected, and then became functional medicine certified because she was not pleased with the way the current system is going, which is a sick care system versus let's get digging to the root cause of what's going on. So I walked in more of as an experiment, thinking there wasn't anything wrong with me, and I'd kind of reached the best I was going to be. And the beauty of working with a functional medicine doc after you found one on the search is they sit down with you for about two hours on your initial intake and they do what is called a timeline. And they basically start from before your birth and start talking about your parents, which is called an antecedent. And then they talk about things that have happened in your life that are called triggers, whether that trigger was a deployment, being shot, being exposed to sarin gas, breaking your neck in a Humvee accident. And then they, have, they look at things that are mediators. What are keeping these problems going long-term, whether it's a eating in an inflammatory manner, a drinking problem, or a lack of sleep. And so they collect all these together, and they show a visual graph of actually what are your still open-ended problems, what are, going, what are the things that are going to be future problems, and all those things go into a, something called the matrix. And the matrix looks like kind of an uh, octagon grid, and my matrix looked like a starfish. I had a bunch of, bunch of things I was really good at, and I had a bunch of things that I was deficient in. Some people's matrix looks like an amoeba where they're a PT god, so to speak, but they eat like crap, so that side is completely caved in. So you want to, the ma taking a matrix and a timeline with a functional medicine doc or a coach, if you don't have a doctor, really helps you drill down on what your actual issues are instead of focusing on what you're already good at. And then once you have the matrix and the timeline established, the clinician would order tests, which could include urine, fecal, hair, blood. Uh, it could range from two or three tests on the low side all the way up to 15 tests for somebody that had multiple comorbidities. Gotcha. All right. So <clears throat> after you do those tests, I mean, what's the next step? So uh, if you're affiliated with our nonprofit and you've actually had a clinician like Carolina Total Wellness, mm -hmm. who I work with, work with you, she has been trained by the Institute of Functional Medicine to basically be a detective and decipher those tests 
and come up with a working template of what supplementation or what lifestyle interventions you need to employ to start to shift those things over time. Mm-hmm. With the understanding of if you have somebody that's really sick as a TBI and a gunshot wound and gut health issues, you probably wouldn't want to pile on a bunch of things at once. And so a lot of the time they're doing a couple interventions at a time so that over the course of a year or so, you're mm-hmm. progressively getting better. Gotcha. And now, is this a case where functional medicine's better for certain types of things? Or is it more saying that, hey, you know, this philosophy on medicine is really the better way to go in general? A hundred percent the better way to go. If you go visit ifm.org mm-hmm. and search for an infographic called the functional medicine tree, it shows how the root causes of all issues uh, stem from mostly lifestyle and environmental factors and things that have fed into that and inflammation and other things. Whereas right now, most, you know, there's a gut health specialist, a heart specialist. And so most issues are, most preventable chronic disease are a result of physical activity, lifestyle, sleep, food, and things of that nature. So I think it's a, a real working template for all of healthcare. Gotcha. All right. So, I mean, in that, you would recommend that people seek out a functional medicine specialist, not in terms of go to your regular doctor. And if this happens, then you kind of split off from there. Correct. Um, with that said, there's a couple of terms out there that are moving in the direction of functional medicine. And uh, the gov- the U.S. government calls it precision medicine. Mm-hmm. It came out under Obama. And it's a way of looking at things in a little more of a personalized manner. Then there's patient-centered medicine, which is a word that is thrown around in the military. And everyone's heard of the NIH, which does a lot of research. There's another governing body that's government-funded called the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to fund some VA studies that are a little more patient-centered that ha- that are actually asking the patients, how do you feel? What's your feedback? So globally, things are moving in kind of a functional medicine direction, but the gold standard is uh, functional medicine at ifm.org for sure. Gotcha. All right. Tell me a little bit more about forming the nonprofit. Like what was the impetus there and, you know, and why do that instead of you know, giving or donating your time and services to a different nonprofit organization um, or just focusing on your private practice? Um, I don't know if it's personal wiring uh, of wanting to help out veterans. Um, It was not something I planned at all. I was helping, we were helping one, Clarissa and I were helping one veteran and I had an attorney, a client, a civilian client who was an attorney who was a nonprofit attorney, said, you know, you really ought to organize this to be able to help more people. And I was like, ah, no, that's crazy. I don't mm-hmm. want to get involved in that. And, he's, and he kind of pushed it a little bit and demonstrated the value of how we could access different areas and help more people and get donations and things like that. And so he helped me organize the initial paperwork and things with the IRS. And uh, our first year was only working with a few people. Um, we work with about 80 new folks per year. Uh, we've got about 1,300 overall that have come through our pipeline, whether it's group classes or individual. But it's uh, at the time we started it, I've heard the word, I've heard it thrown around that there's about 75,000 veteran-themed nonprofits, uh, right or wrong, uh, whether they were organized because of somebody that passed away or someone's personal initiatives. What I saw at that time 
to put it generically, people were taking veterans to Disney World. They were having a good time for two days, then going home and being depressed with the same problems. And nobody was digging to the root cause of any issues or saying, hey, how about we install some actual sustainable lifestyle interventions to empower this person to teach them how to fish for the long haul? Right. All right. And that's kind of the ethos of where it comes from. And, and what is, I mean, again, what does that look like? What does the roadmap look like, right? Like, I think that, you know, the idea of going in and doing your timeline and kind of identifying exposures and things like that is great. But, uh, I mean, what does accountability look like? One, one thing that has been problematic for me in the functional medicine realm is like a elimination diet, right? And 90% of people's significant others don't cook that way. People don't cook like that for themselves. Um, so the idea of coming in and, and just basically having everything you eat taken away from you and like being given this reasonably expensive dietary, you know, guideline, it doesn't seem fun. It doesn't seem practical, right? What do you guys do to overcome that? Good question. I'm thanks for throwing your own story in the chopping block. I, uh, I live with a functional medicine health coach who's also a personal chef. So I kind of have a unique situation. That's awesome. Um, but I didn't come from a place. I was always lean. I never came from a place of having to change anything with my diet. I kind of scoffed at people under my breath a little bit, like, you need to eat the salad, look at me type of attitude. I just had Taco Bell for lunch. Right. I'm just going to um, rub that in. And so it turned out that I needed to do an elimination diet, which drastically changed my energy levels. And not having the caregiver or the significant other or the buddy in the mix supporting you uh, is a very difficult thing if you're ro rolling solo. So within the spectrum of our nonprofit work, we absolutely try to get the caregiver dialed in to some degree. It doesn't have to be a perfect interface, but it needs to be not Doug's crazy thing that he's doing with that crazy nonprofit of tree huggers and uh, his wife's on some other sheet of music. So Clarissa has been a huge support to me. Um, from a coaching perspective, there are folks that have gone to the Cleveland Clinic and gotten the tests and been told you need to do X and then haven't had continuity of coaching on a monthly basis to actually say, this is what you need to go shop for. This is how you cook it. This is what your meal planning might look like. Here are some hacks to sustain it when you're on the road. And so that's really the type of stuff. The day-to-day -day sustainability and long-term self-preservation is where our not a nonprofit gets into the nuts and bolts of helping folks. I think it's helpful too that you guys are um, providing constant feedback. Like I know with like Cleveland Clinic, I I was able to do video teleconferences with the doc um, on a, a semi-regular basis, and I've I've stumbled into friends being friends with Jeff and actually taking uh, more than like taking a more professional interest in my own care has directed me to become more well-versed in like what tests I should be taking, talking to new doctors. But I mean, I've never had a GP, like a general practitioner who gave two shits about what I was talking about. I recently found a GP who will argue with me about these things. And she's generally on board with my self-care program. So that's actually really nice because she will be like, well, why are you doing this? And you try to, then you have to explain it to her. She's like, well, that, that doesn't actually sound totally crazy. And you're like, okay. When, and so can you get behind this and like, you know, support these things? Uh, we'll, we'll order those tests. Like 
all right, cool, man. Like, but I've never been at a dock where that was a thing. I before. found that DOs tend to be a lot more receptive to it than MDs. That is correct. I mean, the, the, they, it's, it's, it seems to be more of like a whole wellness approach to medicine. And like he said before, looking for the root causes of the symptoms rather than just TB, t- treating the symptoms a la carte. So people are going to say, this is too expensive. I know this. This like immediately. Everyone I talk to about this, like, well, that's too expensive because healthcare covers the after effects, but not the preventative, right? Realistically speaking, what are we looking at for people that want to take this approach to addressing problems in their lives? Uh, I adopt a mentality of pay now or pay later. My open heart surgery is 500 grand. What are the collateral costs of trauma to my wife and kids when I'm drooling on myself 20 years from now from brain issues, from hitting my head too many times and not taking care of myself? So that's the lens that I look at that through. Um, Cost-wise, most functional medicine docs do not accept insurance. Uh, I know there's been some maneuverings in the TRICARE space that Jeff knows how to navigate. Essentially, I... I (laughs) I don't know how this would apply for, for, for here in Raleigh with your like your wife's practitioner, but um, I know that like especially with the Cleveland Clinic, there are a series of the tests that are in your general battery, like in your roadmap that or your timeline, as it were, um, that are covered normally under TRICARE. So those tests and the doctor's consultation are covered by TRICARE because they fall within the normal guidelines. Um, but there is... A, a lot of tests, the stress hormone tests, the uh, heavy metal testing, um, a couple others that I can't remember right now, like for allergens or like food sensitivity things are not covered by TRICARE. So like in my experience, I think I was left holding the bag for a couple thousand dollars worth of testing. Um, but TRICARE covered everything else. I don't know what it looks like outside of my personal bubble. Typically, how much are your I've paid about a few thousand in tests. Okay. I could have gotten some of them from the VA, but I was not willing to take a day off of work and go sit in the uh, dregs of the pipeline. Yeah, VA and, and then maybe the place have, where dreams go to die. And, and then maybe have an argument with somebody. Um, with that said, the uh, IFM, Institute of Functional Medicine, has some big plans at the political level uh, that should be breaking in the next year or two that I'm a part of where we're going to help shift VA culture. So expect this to change. Um, I'm participating that in that as a thought leader and Clarissa is too. But we're, our hope is to shift VA culture and DOD medicine culture to the point where this is normal. Since it's not normal, um, you must adopt the attitude of no one is coming to save you. You have to be your own advocate you have to educate yourself like Doug has done and be able to speak intelligently about what these things mean. And you really got to fight. I mean, like a doctor's going to challenge you because they're going to say things like, that's not real. And like, you know, and you're like, man, like, I don't want to fight with you. Like, I just came in here with a list of tests I want that you can interpret however you wish. Well, and, you know, the medical industry is famously 10 years behind whatever the current state of the art is. <clears throat> so... You know, even if it is four years old and solid science and everyone agrees that it's good, um, there's just not a lot of there's not a lot of social or professional incentive for a lot of MDs to stay on the cutting edge. So one of the things the Cleveland Cent- Clinic Center for Functional Medicine is one of the is the leading hospital that is pushing this out at the national level. And 
doctors used to be paid according to how many people they saw, and now they're shifting to paying by the results they're producing. How many meds can you get the patient off of? Then you're going to be rewarded or compensated. So that's starting to shift in the, the payment structure of in the, within the functional medicine world and hopefully spreads nationwide. But it's a, it's a hard one. The, uh, you know, a lot of people call it sick care versus health care or reactionary. And like you spoke of, by the time it takes to do a study and the results of those studies come in, um, it's already moved on to something else. The beauty of the functional medicine model is that it's a systems-based approach that looks at framework. It's a way of look. It's a lens and a way of looking at the patient's story. And so when you do it like that, all of the studies and things have already been done, and a lot of them are, are in motion. So it's not a new style of medicine that's quackery. It's taking existing truths, as they are known now, and plugging them into a framework like the timeline and the matrix to actually shift a client's ecosystem and produce results. Are there certain things that are, you know, kind of outside the scope of functional medicine or, you know, like, for example, um, you know, if you have a patient that's dealing with, let's say, leukemia, you know, um, are you working with their oncologist or is there, you know, are there other types of treatments that you would be trying to steer someone towards? I don't know if that's even a good that's example. That's a little but- bit outside of my personal scope of practice in our nonprofit work. We're seeing cancer, TBI, and we work in concert with those docs. Mm-hmm. Um, Clarissa would be a better person to ask that to when she comes on the podcast. Um, the, most of the things we're seeing that are outside of the functional medicine framework are structural injuries, like actual physical breakdown. Right. And so there are things that I include in our clients and patients model that isn't in on this tree necessarily, mm-hmm. but there are things that help out neck and back injuries and sure. injuries. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, earlier you mentioned that, you know, you guys had gone into Walter Reed and clearly you guys are working very closely with the military. So what does that look like? Um, you know, that, that partnership, um, if that's even the right way to yeah, describe it. I don't or, think we're allowed to say partnership. All right. Uh, yeah. Relationship, relationship. No, so I mean, I think that one of the problems in all this, uh, and I can speak on this, so that Elijah doesn't have to, because there's no sense in in uh, exacerbating a problem. But I, I feel like there is a genuine lack of synergy between five hundred one c threes that most nonprofits see their pot of money as their pot of money. Period, and they are limited by whatever their initial charter is as a five hundred one c three. So, like, if you have one organization, like I think. Uh, for instance, the Green Bray Foundation is a prime example that their their charter uh, very specifically only allows them to do work for Green Berets and families of Green Berets, right? Um, and that can be survivors, as a, but that's that is the limited scope of their practice per se. And, and you know, I mean, I may be fucking that up marginally, but that's the general gist. And then you have like Task Force Dagger, who had a wider charter to begin with. Task Force Dagger is is able. They actively moved to and are expanding the scope of a lot of their reach to all service members. At first, it was like um, it was a very specific niche of soft guys, and then that spread open. And as their foundation, as their 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 funding increased, they started to open up the scope because there were people they wanted to help that they were running into anecdotally, and they started to to engage in a little bit more scope creep. Um, 
the issue is when multiple 501c3s are addressing the same problem and they have different but equally functional arms when it's like hey i'm addressing this problem i i'm addressing this problem too right like now it's going well what's the overlap right like is it possible for uh warrior wellness solutions to be able to provide uh coaching services for people who are actively engaged in the cleveland clinic at you know the cleveland clinic project that task force daggers put together it is is it really difficult for those two 501c3s to deconflict between each other and allow them to function in their their lanes of you know with without stepping on each other a lot of that in my mind comes from the fact that really at the heart of almost all these 501c3s is one person like no matter how big your board is no matter how well funded you are one person is the lifeblood of every one of these 501c3s especially the veteran ones i don't know I know um, when, when Jen Paquette was the, the executive director of the Green Bray Foundation, she was absolutely the lifeblood of that foundation. And there is a great stink now about whether that was true or not, but they're, no, they're not doing anything anymore and she's not there. You know, like, oh, well, that's not true. We're doing a lot of things. Oh, yeah, well, let me see what your books look like this year. You know, like, let's, and the proof will be in the pudding, uh, which is not this is the proof of the pudding is in the tasting, right? Whatever it is. Um, I think it's the proof is in the pudding. I, I, that is the misnomer. That's a misnomer. Yeah, that's the misnomer. Yeah, the proof is in of is in the pudding. The proof of the pudding is in the tasting. Is that, that is, yeah, yeah. that but is it the was Learned something new. Yeah. It, either way, the point is that when that there, it is really good when someone's passion is a five hundred one c three and they're driven to see it be successful and do great things. It is also the number one limitation of that organization in the sense that we all have a very limited bandwidth and therefore, like, if you're if you're really applying all your horsepower in one direction, it's really hard for you to tap the brakes and say, hey, maybe this other organization is also going to help us. So I think one of the big things that we like we, that I'm hoping we can do is empower, um, well, not empower, but but kind of facilitate a, a more open channel communication between what Elijah's doing and what like Jeff and uh, the guys at Task Force Dagger are doing because... I think they're both doing really great things, and I think that they're of the same mindset. The problem is, obviously, you know, when you're spending 23 hours a day <laughs> busy with what you're doing, it's hard to take a call. Yeah, you know? well, and, yeah, yeah, and that was kind of the question I think I was trying to get to is, you know, how are you matching with the people you're helping? You know, is it are they being referred to, you or do people have to find you on their own? Or you, you know, do you have like a system of feelers that you're kind of putting out? Great question. Everybody's like, oh, I want to promote your work, and I'm like, be careful. There's not a lot of us, and we'll become overloaded, and I won't be able to match the bandwidth of what's being asked of me. DocTender.com. <laughs> uh, so basically, our first entry point was Walter Reed. And then we were invited to Camp Lejeune's Wounded Warrior Regiment, which was primarily group workshops to 60 Marines and their families. Uh, or as the wars died down, those Marines then became, you know, there's like 400 folks in those units. And so we had a, a lot of clients at that time in different stages of uh, progression. They all are now in the veteran community because they're medically discharged. And so they enter what's called the Marine for Life program, where they're kind of, it's kind of like the SOCOM Care Coalition, where they're kind of tracked to some degree. And so we get referrals from there, and it's all organic. We don't advertise anything. It's basically, you helped my buddy, and he told me I should call you, or, and that type of thing. Which is a fucking, 
I, it's a fucking pussy fart. You know what I mean? It's like, I get it. Like, it's like, hey, man, I really appreciate you calling me as soon as I fucking hang up the phone. I'm like, man, my problems are still fucking problems. The, and then what happened next was uh, we had connections at the Army for the Army's Warrior Transition Unit out of Fort Belvoir, Walter Reed, and, and Bragg. Uh, my brother is a former, former 82nd guy who had a bunch of issues. And uh, all the way. All the way, exactly. Yay. And then uh, our we get referrals from the Durham VA Pain Clinic. I sit on a national board for the VA for chronic pain and opiate addiction, and I sit on the board of the Durham VA. So people know me, so they refer to our nonprofit. Uh, I would say the biggest influx is from the soft community. I, I didn't know it at the time, being a you know '90s Marine, but the Green Beret community, especially, um, embraced functional medicine because of the more adaptive and critical thinking processes they already had in place. And uh, so that's been pretty cool to work with folks that were open to trying a larger bandwidth of things, mm -hmm. where initially we were viewed as, who the hell is this guy from the 90s talking about eat leaves and and uh, do this yoga pose or right. meditate on this rock, which was the perception sure. initially. Sure. Well, speaking of that, I mean... Can you talk to us about some of the, you know, like general preventative practices? You know, if I'm not coming to you with like a, a specific uh, thing that I need worked on, you know, what are the types of things that just in general you think everyone should be doing? Sure. Um, we have, so we have a lot of folks that we work with that have not seen a functional medicine doctor. So how do you get those into a, how do you get them into a functional medicine pipeline? Mm -hmm. We have what's called the living matrix, which is the, uh, gold standard for functional medicine intake software, and it mm -hmm. has an algorithm in it that once you answer a battery of tests, it compiles the data to populate your matrix and timeline. And although we're not doctors, it can show us if uh, inflammation, communication, structural issues, or other things are of higher need. Mm -hmm. And so um, we don't, we're not allowed to make prescriptions or recommendations like a doctor would, but most of the folks were that are coming into our pipeline are on 10 to 20 medications, eating fast food, drinking six monsters a day, and staying up, drooling on themselves, playing Xbox. Mm -hmm. So if you just stick, without fighting religious, religious wars of dietary theory, if you just stick with, let's get rid of processed food, let's get rid of added sugar, Maybe we take it a step farther uh, to look at the elimination diet of dairy, grains, and gluten, and things of the major irritants to most people, mm -hmm. and have people experiment with uh, diets like the Whole30 or something like that. And so if you just make these micro changes of getting rid of these irritants, you'll upgrade your system exponentially without even seeing a functional medicine doc. Sorry, but not eating fast food is not a micro change. It's a that's a major one. Look, man, I was super fucking hungry. I was driving <laughs> down the road. I had just left the doctor's office, and Taco Bell called to me. And I don't know why, when I walked in and waved it in your face, you had that like a real dick bag. Well, because there wasn't any for me. <laughs> yeah. Why didn't you buy a 12 taco box? Well, because I can only eat eight. So my name's Elijah, and I'm a five guys addict. <laughs> um, fat it's is all healthy natural. for you, Elijah. It's, so right from the earth, they get them off the so burger to, tree. To speak to that... <laughs> I could walk in with a list of uh, handouts of what you shouldn't be doing. And the mm -hmm. reality is you could Google that 
and everyone knows what they shouldn't be doing, quote right. unquote. So how do you help somebody without feeling like you're coming in to restrict me? And so we use a philosophy called crowding out. Mm -hmm. And so crowding out says, instead of me coming in with the 10 things you need to get rid of, which you probably already know about, smoking, what have you. Smoking is a fucking... It expands your lungs and makes you faster. Vasodilation. Yeah. I don't know the why you have to. Run. Let's not hate on this. Every fast gunnery surgeon I've ever met in my life smokes mid-run. That is actually <laughs> true. The only, <laughs> the only person to beat me in the Marine Corps PFT in my unit chain smoked prior to the PFT and during. True story. Sounds like a stud. Let's, yep. a, let's give him an award. <laughs> <laughs> in a coffin. Corporal Gooch hit a track scholarship to Oklahoma State and... Uh, then the Marine Corps taught him to love <laughs> cigarettes. Exactly. <laughs> so, so it's called crowding out. So if you met with me for your coach, first coaching session, I would give you two small things for you to implement. Next month, I give you two more small things. Maybe at about month three, after you'd implemented these six small things, you would say, wow, I'm starting to feel better. And on your own volition, you would say, maybe smoking doesn't serve me anymore. And you would stop yourself rather than the mandate and edict from Elijah and his crazy people at Warrior Wellness Solutions. Mm -hmm. And so we adopt that crowding out mechanism as a minimally invasive, teach you how to fish empowerment model that actually, so if you include two new things over the course of a year, you have a lot of new things implemented and you actually have done a lot of change. And so I'm a crawl, walk, run guy myself. I have never done anything. I was never picked first for any sports team. You know, I've always felt like I've adapted kind of last in any type of training. And it's only been through gentle osmosis over time that I've evolved to what I'm at, I am now. And I'm still working on it. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think for everyone, change is really hard. Um, I think, you know, my anecdotal experience or evidence has been that uh a lot of times that stuff is really tied to like location or environment um i know when i quit smoking a long time ago um for the first time i hadn't smoked for maybe eight months and i flew back to new york where i lived for a summer and i walked off the plane like water airport i had not craved a cigarette in probably half a year as I walked off the jet bridge, I wanted a cigarette more than anything I'd wanted in, in a long time. And they're delicious. Um, I don't know why you deny yourself that pleasure. Well, but I'm saying there's like clearly. <laughs> he didn't. He <laughs> walked um, to a bodega and bought a $14 pack of cigarettes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> were were um, they menthol? They were not menthol. I don't smoke cool menthol filter cigarettes. Kings and breakfast um, of champions. Filterless camo camels rolled up in your black fitted yeah, t shirt. Exactly. I was always hair brought up back. to believe you didn't have to brush your um, teeth if you smoked menthols or dipped. Uh, Skull wintergreen. Well, but I, I guess, you know, my question is that is there is there like an environmental aspect to this? That 100%. You're with? Um, not from the functional medicine model, from a school we went to called the Institute of Integrative Nutrition prior to functional medicine. There was a uh, handout they gave us called the Eight Causes of Cravings. Mm -hmm. It was, a, it was a, a module that we learned about cravings and how to deconstruct cravings. And I can't remember all eight, but I'll give you some of them. One was ancestral cravings. I'm Polish, therefore I crave kielbasa. The other one was cravings associated with a good time. My dad took me to Coney Island. Every time I went there with my dad, I associate that with a good time, therefore I want hot dogs. 
Yeah. Then Doug Southern, so he craves oppression. <clears throat> I don't crave oppression. <laughs> I'm I am not a masochist. I crave to oppress. It's called sadism, and I derive sexual <laughs> gratification from it. Fair enough. Just to, as your forefathers. <laughs> and then and then <laughs> that's why I pull down Confederate statues now, because I like to oppress all of the Make America Great Grand people. Well, everyone has their thing. It's a positive <laughs> venue. <laughs> Awesome. Um, anyway, yes. <laughs> back, back so then there, then there is a craving based on location. It's a trigger. People, places, and things can absolutely crave it. And so instead of feeling bad about, oh, what's wrong with me? Why did I, I'm weak? Why did I want another cigarette? Maybe New York is that trigger. Mm-hmm. And then there's de-evolution cravings. Like, you know what? I've stopped smoking long enough. I deserve a cigarette because I'm just tired and I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. And that could be a drink, a cigarette, a drug, or what have you. Sure. All right. De-evolution. Well, so when someone comes to you, I mean, I know I don't want to just totally reiterate everything you said, but to me that seems like it takes so long. You don't. You didn't just get on twenty medications overnight. You didn't Correct. go to the doctor the first time, and the doctor says, "Hey, like here's your prescription for these twenty medications." You know, um, you didn't just start staying up till three in the morning playing Xbox or whatever, drinking six monsters a day. So, it takes a long time to develop those patterns. Does it take equally long to reverse them? Uh, it depends on how motivated you are. We, we've had folks just go all in after a workshop with us. And then three months later, they've literally been off most of their meds. Other folks, it's more of a six month or a year timeline Mm -hmm. of small adjustments. And again, we're not taking people off of medication. We're saying as a result of you feeling good, if you express that to your clinician and they choose to suggest that that's the path. Sure. Um, For sure. I feel like for a lot of people, there has to be some sort of impetus, right? And the impetus medically tends to be... Can't you fix that with Viagra? <clears throat> right. that, yes. is, <laughs> that is what Dr. Mark Hyman calls the name it, blame it, and tame it model. I like the fact that we went from an impotence joke to a Dr. Mark Hyman joke. I was saying... Oh, impet- wait, he's not impetus. a joke. <laughs> not impotence. <laughs> Tale as old as time. I know, like, looking at people on Facebook, like... I would say 95% of the time I see somebody that's lost a lot of weight, is obviously more active, obviously doing more healthy things. There's always something in the background that happened. They got a divorce or they had their business went bankrupt or something like big, huge happened in their life that jarred them out of whatever routine, the groove they were walking in the ground uh, that allowed them to be more flexible to other changes. And I, is that something that you see a lot? You know, like people that like, oh, I had this horrible medical thing happen and that was the, the straw that broke the camel's back and now I'm ready to get it get it done? I would say the calls that we receive are people usually they're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm-hmm. They're, they've seen just the medicine stack up over time like you talked about and no clear path for, you know, they're 27 and going, why am I on 15 meds? That's not living. And sometimes it's the caregiver that reaches out to us and says, hey, my husband's a wreck or my wife's a wreck. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's usually the folks our nonprofit attracts are typically folks that are uh, self-motivated and just woke up one day and said enough it is enough. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always those folks that are trying to get free personal training or free whatever, but sure. they're in the minority. Yeah, so in, the, in that vein um, – you know, one of the things you mentioned was that you guys do a lot of work with adaptive athletes. 
Um, and that seems like that's probably more on the physical training side and less on the let's, you know, figure out these like health, you know, chronic health conditions. Um, how does that work with, you know, all of this? I mean, how do you, how do you balance those two things between focusing on, on chronic health issues and then also the physical training side? I personally do a simultaneously two-tiered approach if mm-hmm. the person's able, um, where we're addressing the nutrition simultaneously with movement. Uh, the Most of the folks we get with the physical breakdown side of things are severe chronic back pain from jumps, uh, being blown up, what have you. And we start them on a super minimalist template. Um, like I said, my background was from athletes performance, which is now Exos. So it's maybe something as simple as myofascial release and teaching them about adhesions, trigger points, and how to start to release their body. Um, they come in for a postural assessment and a movement assessment with me. I have a facility in downtown Durham or on the outskirts of downtown Durham. And I also teach another system called foundation training, which you may or may not have heard of, uh, Dr. Eric Goodman. It looks at first glance kind of like yoga and Pilates, uh, but it is probably the number one field expedient system that you can do anywhere, anytime, even from a hospital bed and from a wheelchair to help integrate and basically get your feet talking to your legs, talking to your core, and start to re rewire in a neuromuscular way your body so that as you become more rewired, you can actually go out and start doing your regular lifts or your regular sport. This is basically what we do with BASIC on our programming, not to denigrate your accomplishments. My stuff's Elijah. better, I promise. <laughs> well, it's funny. We all have roots in excess as well. <laughs> Look, we're not going to send you clients, Elijah. <laughs> not, not like, not directly. <laughs> hey, everybody! If you uh, want a really good coach, don't come to Softly. Go to Elijah. <laughs> I'll, I'll offer up a, a free module of myself on Basic. How about that to help? We be, we be naked, um, shirtless. Yes, I, this is how real negotiation happens. <laughs> now we got pay dirt. Dude, I don't, I don't know. It was in that Taco Bell, man. <laughs> what, what do you mean? I'm driving a hard bargain. I learned it from you, Dad. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, so, gosh. please. So then after they've received, uh, achieved a basic level of homeostasis, we start to explore three-dimensional movement uh, from a hinging, pushing, pulling, rotational patterns. And then once they've codified that to some degree, we dial it in specific to their sport. Uh, my personal sport is Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I have triangle jiu-jitsu here in Durham. I didn't know you were Brazilian. No, I'm not Brazilian. So what, what, what do you call it? American jiu-jitsu. There, there you, you go. go. America. <laughs> Shibara has taught you guys. Yeah. <laughs> the taste For, freedom jiu-jitsu. <laughs> freedom jiu-jitsu. Aaron is, I mean, uh, bro, fucking... Um, Alan, Alan, sorry, is is too big to be ignored. Like when he says things like that with his typical like growl, you're like, oh yeah, it is going to be jujitsu for life now. I'll never credit the Brazilians again. Yes, well, he's actually the. F- I haven't been in the game that long, a couple of years now, and so he was the first person that I heard say that. And I was like, okay, maybe this is a. Well, don't challenge him. That's the thing, right? Even if he's the only person that's saying it, he's right. Because I don't want to find out what it means to call him out for being wrong. Well, and, and to Alan's credit, like having practiced, him having practiced jujitsu on the world stage, like there's a lot of different political things that are going on 
regarding that that he is not he has a lot of bad blood about so oh we heard i heard all of them at softly it's friday night <laughs> fights and it blew my mind <laughs> uh, don't worry man i uh i have the capability of beating a world-ranked jiu-jitsu guy with a broken neck and it only fueled my anger to destroy him i was like oh yeah, yeah I, so go ahead no please so a lot of a lot of our the jiu-jitsu community is filled with a lot of veterans um, beyond that, we coach a lot of folks that uh, are participating in the Valor Games, Warrior Games, a lot of folks on Team SOCOM, a lot of t- folks on Team Marine Corps, whether it's air rifle, volleyball, uh, wheelchair racing, or uh, track and field like uh, discus or uh, shot put. Gotcha. All right. And so you're not doing the nonprofit full-time, are you? Uh, no, it's probably about f- 60% for-profit. Forty percent nonprofit. All right, um, got to keep the lights on, so I got to go make money. Understandable. Uh, the nonprofit's a labor of love. Uh, if you talk to Clarissa, I've been accused of going in the other direction, and I got to I got to do the right thing and take care of take care of the family. But everything's balanced, right? Everything in balance. Um, I moved here five years ago at age forty, and basically rebuilt my business from scratch. I lived in the Baltimore, Washington area, and so during those first year and a half that I was here, I didn't have a lot of civilian clients. And so I was able to do a lot of nonprofit work. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Marlo Stanfield told you to hit the bricks, huh? Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> well, so what's, what is the future for Warrior Wellness Solutions? I mean, is it expanding the services that you guys offer? Is it, you know, working with just every year, higher number of people? Um, They're putting a fool's ball table in the office next week. You know? <laughs> <laughs> So what does that look like? Uh, we are, like I said, currently partnered with the Functional Medicine Coaching Academy. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're looking to basically build out a curriculum specific to veterans right. here at some point that would allow it to scale and go more nationwide. Uh, and the IFM.org Institute of Functional Medicine is also trying to do the same thing from the VA space. So we're not sure what that looks like yet, but we are definitely the thought leaders and leaders in terms of practitioners as it relates to functional medicine coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, the bulk of our clientele comes from North Carolina, Fort Bragg, Camp Lejeune, Durham, uh, the Durham VA. We can work with about 80 folks a year. That includes caregivers. Um, we can scale. We, I, I have enough practitioners in our network to scale it to whatever people will give us money for. We can mm-hmm. absolutely go nationwide. We've got that kind of network. But right now, you got If you can't take care of yourself, uh, you can't give away things to sure. others. So Charity right now we're, at home. we're niche, um, mostly North Carolina, Mid Atlantic based. And I, I went to Duke for nonprofit management and grant writing, and so um, people have what I believe what I call donor fatigue. Everybody's got their hand out from the nonprofit world. So I'm a, a grant writer and I go after things in that in that realm to try to make things happen. Sure. That's one of the reasons that a lot of the 501c3s don't want to work with one another. Some, so much donor fatigue. It's like, oh, if we work together, maybe they'll like this other organization. My, my general opinion in that realm, and and take it with a grain of salt because I am I am the lame, layest of laymen, is that the, that that idea of it there's only one pie and the pieces have to be cut up, especially in the nonprofit world is total bullshit that like you're, it's an infinite market when it comes to tax write-offs. And when you have a, a good mission, like when the mission is actually a good mission, 
it's hard to get infinite donors to take people to Disney World. It is not hard to say, hey, man, we've addressed this many veterans, like many real existing problems over the last year. This is what we've consistently done year by year. This is how much it's cost per person to address their problems and solve them in perpetuity. People are like, man, I can get behind that. You're speaking my language. Yeah, I'll, let's just make the pie bigger, man. You know what I mean? Like, if, if we're not full yet, then the next pie we bake is going to be a bigger pie. Uh, the beauty of my nerd accounting background at Ernst & Young during my brief stint there has allowed me to um, really uh, codify metrics, and I'm big on numbers. Mm-hmm. And so if you go to warriorwellnesssolutions.org backslash one-page, there's a download that shows our aggregate data of who we work with, what their numbers are when they start, and what they end up like in six months and a year. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the numbers are compelling. People can't argue with them. And like Jeff uh, um, talked about, uh, it's about for every seven, for every dollar invested in preventative health care, I believe it's a $6 rate of return. So you're basically saving the VA and the national health care structure millions at the end of the day. Right. If only, we could, if only we could apply that kind of logic to the uh, construction of the F-35. Ooh. Marine jokes. Oh, <laughs> nice. There. I'm just saying, you know, like, hey, it's man, it's a $1.5 trillion jet. Get over it, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, six of them can pay for the whole war of the last 20 years. Yeah. I also have a, a certification, what's called RAND logic model reporting, which is like the gold standard of yeah. showing a flow chart. Yeah. And nobody has this. And so we have it. And so I'll, I'll put our, I'll put our uh, organization up against anybody in terms of numbers and data. Great. We have the best pie charts. Exactly. <laughs> well, so if people, if people want to find out more, if people want to donate, if people want to get involved, where can they go? Uh, they can go to warriorwellnesssolutions.org, or mm-hmm. if they f- want to find out more about me, it's elijahsacred.com. Sounds great. You guys on Twitter, Instagram, or the Yeah, we're on uh, Twitter at Team WWS, on Facebook at facebook.com backslash warriorwellnesssolutions.org, and then on Insta, IG, at warriorwellnesssolutions. Fantastic. And you guys are going to hear more from... Elijah's significant other, Clarissa, his, his partner, his better half. Yeah. yeah, she's awesome because I'm more. I guess if you could pigeonhole me, I'm more of the movement guy, health coaching light, mm-hmm. who founded the organization with her. But she actively works in a clinician practice, and sure. so she can speak to the deeper questions you were asking about uh, leukemia and all all the rabbit hole type of uh, sure. interventions. Great. We're looking forward to bringing her on and hearing more about it. Thanks for joining us today, Elijah. We really appreciate it. it. Thank you.